Hi, I'm David C. Jones, and this is Alive and Engaged, the podcast about speaking out and looking in. In today's episode, in the engaged part about public speaking and presentations and emceeing, we're going to talk about technical hell, things that are beyond you that might go wrong to ruin you. And in the second part, the alive part, I'm very excited to be talking with Daka CG, a sacred intimate who helps people who are having trouble with their sexuality and their sexual expression. All that will be right after the break. Okay, for the engaged part or how to MC your life, I'm gonna try to go through this as quickly as possible because I wanna get to our guest as quickly as possible. If you want, I'm gonna put the time code in the description if you want to jump to him because this part although really really important is also a little dry because this is all about technical hell just like an art gallery owner or a museum director will curate an exhibit to make sure it has the best possible impact on the audience and shows off all of the exhibits in the best possible way you as the MC as the point person, as the one with all the information, you need to curate your event to make sure that you can do your job to the best of your ability. You need to curate so you can create an event that has maximum impact. No matter how much you pre-plan, how much you confirm by email or by phone, or if you have a rider, uh, everything that you prep before you do your presentation, before you MC, before you get ready to be the focus point for the show, the technical gremlins will get in there. And just like Murphy says, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So here are five quick tips on how to help you prepare and anticipate anything that could possibly go wrong. Number one is sound. It's always important to get there early so that you can check on the sound that you're going to be using. A couple different things about microphones. Some microphones are omnidirectional uh, and some microphones are multidirectional. So you need to test it out to know which way to hold it so that your voice sounds as pleasing as possible. Also check to see if the mic has been EQ'd for the singer. A singer often likes to have the mic to have some reverb on it and you don't want the reverb on when you're speaking. Otherwise your voice is very echoey. You want to check to see whether or not the microphone is corded and if it's corded, can you take it off the stand and walk with it or is it taped down? If it's a wireless mic, walk around so you know where you're going to get that feedback sound so you know where you can move and where you can't move. Another issue with sound is sometimes the producers have only put two speakers at the front of the stage and it's a big room so they're blasting the sound to try to make it reach all the way to the back. This deafens the people in the first couple of rows and the people in the back still can't hear. It's always good to check on the sound and in particular the speakers ahead of time. Perhaps they should get more speakers and daisy chain them around the room or move them further back into the room. You are going to be the mouthpiece for the event. You need to be heard. You need to have good sound. If you're going to be the spokesperson, the ringmaster for the event, people need to be able to see you, know where the lights are focused, 
If you were in a restaurant or a small venue, there might be track lighting, which is currently spread out, distributing light throughout the room. You can refocus a couple of those track lights if they're not too hot, so that they are now creating a center spot for you so that you can introduce the events and the things that are going to happen. If they can't see you, they can't hear you. Number three, the stage and the shape of the room. I have sometimes been asked to host events in restaurants. Sometimes the restaurant is an L shape or an odd shape. So I like to get there early to figure out where is the best place for me to stand so that I can introduce the speakers and everything so that everyone or the majority of people can see. Oh, and here's one that combines lighting and staging. I have been at venues where the stage is against a window so that everyone who's going to be on that stage is going to be backlit, a shadowy figure. So close the curtains so everyone can see the people on the stage. The other thing that happens, sometimes you get to a venue or you're in a venue where the, there is no stage. The performers and everyone are going to be on the same level as the audience, which means if somebody's sitting with a tall person in front of them, they won't be able to see. So I try to find that out ahead of time and try to source a small riser or, or something that gets me just a little bit off the ground. Another thing that happens with stages, particularly if the event that you are at is going to be giving away awards or prizes, is that they often set it up with a table that is taking up the whole stage so getting there early you can make some adjustments and move some things around so that there's room for you to do your job number four of five is the script you will need a script ahead of time i always ask for the script to be given to me as a word doc so that way i can manipulate the information around the page put it in point form make the font bigger so it's easier to read without having to bring the paper close to my face I also ask for all the names we've written up phonetically. Now, sometimes the client might go, oh, he doesn't like his name being misspelled. But I say, they're not gonna see it. It's just for me, so I say it right. Some, of them, some European names have an awful lot of consonants in them and you're not sure which ones are silent. It's always a good idea to read your script a couple of times first out loud, just so you get used to saying everything, wrapping your tongue around it. And I remember one time, being in an event, now because I'm a trained actor, I thought, well, I'll just do a cold read of this script. So I read out uh, this, I read the script off the top of my head with great enthusiasm. Now the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Our next speaker has published three best-selling travel books and was nominated for the Giller Prize in 2012. Her radio show is heard both in North America and in Europe. In 2014, she was in a horrible car accident that left her paraplegic. Please welcome Maggie Summers. It was only at the end of that that I realized, hmm, that last sentence, I might have given a different spin on it. So now I always read my script out loud a couple of times beforehand. If I've been able to reformat the script, I also give myself wide margins so I can make any notes or when they ask you to do any last minute announcements. I often will also repaste my script out onto cardstock. So I'm holding small cards in my hands rather than a big script. You are the mouthpiece. You are the spokesperson. You are the one introducing people. You're gonna need a script. It's surprising how many producers don't think of that. And number five, technical hell. All of your tech needs need to be verified and tested before the audience is in the venue. It is amazing how the different technologies in this 21st century digital age, sometimes they don't talk to each other. There's nothing worse than getting audience members up on stage to maybe do a dance routine, then turning to the booth and saying, hit it. And you see them hit it, but nothing comes out of the speakers. So even if you've confirmed with what formats they need and what 
devices are going to be playing them on. I always bring my phone, a USB stick, and my laptop so I can reformat something if I need to. It's also really embarrassing if you have brought a PowerPoint or a short film and you point to the screen and there's nothing there except Epson. So make sure you go over all of your technical things ahead of time. So here are the top five things that can go wrong that are not you. They are the things outside of you. One, sound. Can everybody hear you? Two, lights. Are you spotlighted? Three, the shape of the room or the stage. Is the audience able to take in everything and see everything? Four, script. Do you know what you have to say and do you know how to say it? And five, technical needs, PowerPoints, music, videos. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So make sure it doesn't by getting there early and testing everything out. So curate an event so you can help create an event that exceeds the expectations of both the producers and the audience. There you have it. Now this has probably been the most technical of any of the engaged segments that I have done so far. And if you are not an MC or a presenter, hopefully you found it a little bit fascinating, a little bit interesting. I guess it's a little harder to find a parallel or an analogy for real life. I guess the only one would be to make sure you are always traveling with your phone and your calendar. Make sure you know where you're going and how to get there. Make sure you know the names of the people you're supposed to meet and how to pronounce them and get there early so you can make sure you don't have the window at your back so that your face is nicely lit. When we come back from the break, we will be talking with Daka CG, who is a sacred intimate, and he'll be talking about sexuality. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Alive and Engaged with David C. Jones. And I am here with Daka CG, although I'm going to call you CG from the, next, the rest of the time, who is a sacred intimate. Now, I, I've known you for quite some time, but I've never heard that term before. So. I know you do many wonderful things, but can you explain to me what does the term sacred intimate mean? Sure, yeah. Sacred intimate is uh, its a pretty broad word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it refers to lots of different kinds of, of work. And essentially it's kind of, you know, usually the word that is, is um, given to sacred intimates is, is like a sex worker. Right. And I think the name sacred intimate is just trying to capture a different angle or dimension of sex work. So sex work, you know, um, has a certain connotation in our in our society. If if I were to just tell somebody that I'm a sex worker, they would probably have a certain assumption of what they'll, it they'll is have a knee jerk reaction to exactly. like oh, you're one of them or you do that <laughs> exactly right. right. So this is just kind of. Um, yeah, acknowledging it's rebranding. It's it's it is a rebranding, <laughs> and it's also, um, but it's also like it calls in a different energy with with the clients you're working with because right. it's kind of like then people also have a sense of what you're doing. So the basic idea of sacred intimate, if you want to break it down into those two words, you know, the first dimension is that there is a sacred dimension to sexuality, and so it's working on that level. Um, really honoring sexuality and sexual energy as a as a as like a profound process and and that's it's kind of has this ceremonial quality to it where we enter into a space 
with an altered state of consciousness where we're working in a primarily nonverbal space. It's kind of like just like any other ceremony that you know you would you would partake in. And the other dimension is the intimate piece, which is that um, we've all probably had sexual experiences that are <laughs> not what? intimate at all, <laughs> right. which can be beautiful and fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's simply saying that the, the intimacy portion of this work is central, that it's really about uh, asking yourself, how can you use sexual energy to deepen intimacy? Now, who are, uh, I have so many questions, uh, who are primarily your, the, the people that you encounter? Now, you, you work primarily with men, uh, and particularly gay men. Uh, are you exclusively uh, working in that area, or are you uh, work sometimes, uh, obviously, with women? That's where I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah, so I I, um, I I market myself. My website is Gay Massage Vancouver, and I use it's that. kind of narrows it down. Just <laughs> <laughs> kind of narrow it down. Um, and I do that mostly for marketing purposes, just because most people who are looking for me would probably go into Google and mm-hmm. say, well, I want, you know, I want to a gay massage and I mm-hmm. want to be in Vancouver so that's why I chose that but it's definitely not like a like something I'm limiting myself to who are typically the people who use your services uh, uh, it's like, a very they... broad broad um, um, swath so first off is I get people of all ages um, uh, and very um, different body types you know like i would say there is is it psychologically is it like people who are lonely or lazy (laughs) (laughs) or or... again it's very broad so i do definitely get people who are dealing with you know personal issues like maybe body self-image challenges they might be working with um you know like a degree of anxiety around sexual experiences or they might have anxiety around relation relationship stuff um, so definitely there's, there can be that psychological component. Sometimes it's like a physical issue, like men who have had prostate surgery, um, you know, can often lose their ability to get erect or, or have ejaculations. Mm. And so it requires redefining sexuality in a, in a different way beyond just a cock so like So, so uh, like teaching them? Like, like going here, have you considered this? Well, it's more, you know, like... So my context, the context of a sacred intimate is that you are teaching through example and teaching through experience. So it's not like a pedagogical situation where you would be like teaching them, you know, do this or do that. Right. Um, I mean, I guess you could be doing that, but that's not what I do. But it's more about giving people a felt sense of what uh, pleasure and sexual energy can be like in their body. And, you know, like for some folks who, for example, have anxiety or trauma, histories of trauma, abuse around sexuality, um, you know, really just providing people that safe container for them to experience pleasure can be profound. Like right. just to, to, to some people have a very um, um, complicated relationship to pleasure. Um, sexual abuse and sexual trauma can be a very deeply disturbing experience because unlike Mm. unlike physical trauma where you know it you know it's primarily pain in sexual trauma i mean it can be also very painful but it can get very confusing because there can be moments of pleasure in a sexual abuse scenario or a sexual sexually traumatic setting so it becomes really complicated because afterwards survivors of sexual abuse 
have a lot of guilt or sometimes like confusion around like, well, I maybe I found that pleasurable, but then, you know, that was painful. So then how do I like, did I did I ask for it? You know, why did I why did I find it pleasurable? And so pleasure becomes this suspect thing. It becomes this dangerous thing. Like I might have sex with somebody one time and it's an enjoyable experience. But then, you know, I might not have the ability to remove consent just because I'm afraid or whatever. So then it slowly morphs into a non-consensual setting. So that's really complicated because, you know, there's a lot of shades of gray between a wanted, desirable sexual experience. And then that kind of usual scenario we think of where someone is like, you know, just completely in, in agony and pain because they're being raped or right. something. You know, it's like there's there's a lot in between those two. And of course, right. within gay men, of course, there's this extra dimension of the, the layer of oppression and um, of homophobia that right. so many men have picked up over the years. So then you lay that on top of perhaps other experiences and it becomes really complicated because gay men have been taught to distrust their sexuality to distrust Mm -hmm. their pleasure that they should be you know trained out of it um and that their bodies are somehow impure you know there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to that people who have been repressing their sexuality for so long um, it's pretty terrifying for a lot of folks, for like people who have, for men who have identified as straight, to enter into what we call gay culture and gay sexual culture. It can be really overwhelming. Like, how do you access sex? How do you find sex partners? What's the language you use? What's safe and what's not safe? You know, right. there's lots of, you know, of course, nowadays it is stuff you can find on the internet, perhaps. But for a lot of people, it's just, it's overwhelming. And mm-hmm. they just want a situation where they can explore same-sex pleasure without, necess- you know, not having to worry about, oh, is this person going to, like force themselves onto me is this person safe you know am right. i gonna are they gonna tell people about that are they gonna tell people about it you know yeah. am i gonna am i gonna get kind of um you know do i have to worry about stis and all that right. that element of, of of sacred intimacy is kind of one angle of it which is kind of more of that psychological dimension mm-hmm. and working through trauma or working through fear and um, but then there's definitely this other element of um, people who are wanting to learn to to learn more about the possibilities of pleasure, the possibilities of sexuality, learning about different ways of working with their body, and you know, kind of like what you know the what I often tell clients is like you know when we go through life, we we most of us I think have perhaps one or two or five or whatever really amazing sexual experiences right you know whatever it just happens to happen you know at some like point in our life the ones you want to talk about yeah like, <laughs> That's what just I like, they're like these magical situations you met somebody on a beach somewhere yeah. you know whatever it's like some situation you have this beautiful experience and most people just kind of feel like that was a coincidence And that happened one time and, you know, and then they just kind of live their life kind of thinking, oh, well, I hope that happens again. And what my work is about, and it kind of relates to like what you were saying about curating, is that we can can actually consciously create these experiences. Not necessarily that it's going to be an exact repeat of those previous experiences, but we can be more mindful about how we're working with sexual energy so that... Um, we can start to create really rich, delicious, beautiful sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the analogy we often give is like 
fast food versus gourmet. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like you can have your sexual experience as a fast food experience. And sometimes that's, you know, whatever, that's fine. Again, there's no value judgment against that. Right. But if we're only eating fast food, then we're not really, and we're not giving ourselves the time to have really gourmet experiences, then after a while, we kind of forget that that's even possible. Right. And so, you know, this is like, like, you know, a lot of the work, like actually, you know, my room that I use for my clients, you know, I've paid a lot of attention to the lighting, the sound, the, the temperature, staging. you know, it's it is a lot of staging, <laughs> yeah. you know, how do I, you know, how do I bring people into the room? Right. How is the room oriented? Now, you Where, must meet people with, who have huge amount, like, do you have a fear for your own safety? Like, cause you, you must have, huge emotional responses to your work like there's going to be people who cry or 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 uh, yeah, but yeah. there must be ones who panic or freak out like do you have Usually. a taser hidden, <laughs> hidden somewhere where you go don't make me tase you <laughs> i've had a only a couple really negative experiences that i could say um one was uh a younger fellow who was there definitely there just kind of for a you know, just for a, a sexual experience, you just wanted to have sex, and right. and my ex what I offer is not sex. I offer generally with especially with new clients, I use the modality of, of massage. You, it's kind of like an integrated full body massage that includes genitals, but is not like focused on genitals. And so you know, it's just kind of a different experience than you know just a regular fuck or suck or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you know, he clearly just wanted that. So you know, and he got kind of pushy and handsy, and you know, at that point, I kind of had to basically just abort the situation and right. be like, no. So you, that was, you need it, you but need I do have bear spray, <laughs> just in case. Just I've in never case. used it. I've never even come close to using it. So there you but go. Now you know. <laughs> bear spray in the room. That's good. Well, that's good though. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing. It's like that. Uh, yeah. The the work that people like you and uh, that you offer is not about you know wham bam thank you ma'am. Uh, it's it, it's deeper than that. That that that. That strikes me as profound work. Can you, without obviously revealing names or anything or betraying any kind of trust, can you give me maybe three examples of maybe mm. profound experiences mm. that you did? This, again, it's, I think yeah. also so that we can make sure the listeners know that you're you're not a whore. You're not a. Right? <laughs> I have nothing against whores. I mean, I, I think I mean, if you're a whore listening, we like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like the whole range of sex work can be beautiful and profound. This is mm -hmm. definitely just one slice of it. But um, so what are this? So but yeah, three examples. examples. One is, um, I would say, um, one really interesting angle is that in the gay community, especially, there's a lot of uh, crystal meth addiction. Mm, okay. And that can be quite destructive. Uh, I mean, just as a substance, it's quite destructive, but in the gay community, it often gets linked with sex use. Right. And so, you know, crystal meth can make sexual experiences really intense. They can last very long. And so it, it kind of, um, but what happens is, is that people, you know, of course, it's a very addictive substance. So one's crystal meth use becomes almost completely linked to one's sex life. Right. And so, of course, you know, it can, you know, it, you know, it's fun for a while, but then after a while, crystal meth starts to, you know, destroy your body, mind, soul. And uh, so people, you know, at some point have to 
realize that it's either death or you know sobriety right and uh so they well, of course most people choose to you know try to go sober and but then their sex life completely disappears because it's been it's so linked con- so linked it's to so it. connected and because it's such a peak experience it's almost like becomes psychologically burned in their memory and so kind of more traditional sexual experiences just kind of lack interest so people this- kind of become de- desexualized when they're and that's very difficult to do because in the gay community sex is such a a way of connecting right and so if suddenly you're sober so you've lost all your friends who are still you know addicted using and suddenly the the main method you have to connect with other gay men is also gone because you don't you don't even feel like you can get hard you don't feel horny you don't right you know so then it, it can become really isolating so anyways i've i've worked with a fellow uh, several but you know just like one example of just people who are um going through this and and basically reorienting their nervous system like rewiring the brain exactly by because, all, the, all their, their whole body <laughs> So, you know, just reorient, reorienting the mind towards like, what does pleasure feel like in my body? What, how do I, how do I um, learn to like, just like accept this experience for what it is and accept the intimacy of it? Because of course, crystal meth, you know, while it can create these peak experiences, it's generally not a connecting experience. You're right. very much in your own world and you're right. kind of like two people having sex, but you're completely dissociated from one another so that aspect of intimacy is kind of completely lost right second um story would be um you know working with trans men has been pretty fascinating um so these generally speaking are people who have transitioned and uh from from you know being socialized as a as a female and you know kind of being embodied as a female so to speak and then transitioning to uh to you know a gender identity of being a man Mm -hmm. and this can be again another um really challenging transition because it's um you know again it's kind of like learning how to access sex and pleasure in the gay world can be really tricky and of course there's a lot of stratification and judgment that happens on like social media dating apps in bars and bathhouses so for of course for a person who is showing up in a kind of like with a you know with a vagina and may have had top surgery or may not it can be really intimidating to walk into a bathhouse or to go on grinder or to you know do something like that right. and so again it's like accessing sexual experiences can be really really challenging so and and we should clarify like the not all people who not all trans people who uh transition uh female identity to male identity uh, also then go into gay relationships. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just yeah. working generally with the ones, ones who that are, are doing that. Um, yeah, yeah, somehow identifying as gay men. Right. Uh, and there is, there can be a lot of fear around engaging with another man, hmm. especially cis men, because there's has been, you know, if you've been socialized as a female, there, there can be a lot of um, just fear and caution around yeah. around dealing with cis men. And so, you know, just providing that safety can a lot right. of times be really um, nurturing. And so a lot of healing can happen through that. Wow, beautiful. And a third example, um, 
I would say, and this is kind of like a, just a different class of, of folks that I work with. I is think, it a better class? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah. No. It's an upper class. <laughs> it's the rich. <laughs> no. Well, in a way it is because it's, 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 oh, there's a lot of, of queer men out there who are in relationships, generally long-term relationships, that have basically become sexless. Bad guy. Yeah, it's and it's very common actually. It's it's kind of like more common than not. So, um, but yeah, it's just very common that we'll we'll enter into a long term relationship with somebody. At first, of course, the fireworks are there. There's a lot of chemistry, but after a while, it kind of dissipates. And so, working with people who are, um, you know, it's it's a lot of times it's very complicated because when you're in a, a relationship that's so close like that, um, you know. People are are cautious, very cautious mm. of opening it up and mm. really wanting to be mindful about how to do that. And of course, you know, STIs and things like that are right. very important. So I think part of it is also around um, we're we're oriented towards peak sexual experiences. Um, we we kind of think that okay, a successful sexual experience for men especially is one that's you know really. It's it's you know it's really intense. It's passionate, you know, and it involves ejaculation and you know really you know, and you know for a lot of men it's kind of revolutionary to consider that they could have a beautiful sexual experience that may not even involve an erection. Right. And it's yeah, it's definitely different than you know that peak experience. Hmm. Um, but you know for for like especially within partnerships, it's just completely uh, like beyond like beyond expectation to right. expect that you're always going to be having these peak experiences with your partner year after year after year so it's like again like teaching people how to have meaningful beautiful sexual experiences that don't always include ejaculation mm -hmm. or or even erection um, right. one of the things that i'm curious about and this is of course obviously for uh, for heterosexuals out there or women who are out there and they're like going god he sounds great <laughs> is first off where do you train to do this it's not something you can do at bcit <laughs> it's it's should. it should be a course at bcit right uh british columbia in, uh into what is institute it institute of technology it's institute of technology for anyone not listening in vancouver um um so uh, it would be a great course. What's your minor? <laughs> but where do where do you you know uh, where do you trained to do this yeah. work? Do you have a like a uh, uh, and and if I were going if I were like a, a straight man looking for someone uh, a woman who could help me with this yeah. or a woman or a lesbian who wants a woman to help me with this, what sort of training should I look for? Because I I think it's not one of those things that there's any. Uh, government certification <laughs> where you go this person has been approved check their yelp reviews right? <laughs> well yes and no so there's basically two streams so there are some certifications out there oh so there's some people there's a sexological bodywork training which actually does have uh, a, a state mandated certification in california interesting um, so there's like a, a course and you know a certification and all that so what did you call that sexology sexological body worker so nice. you can actually like if you search like oh sexological body workers in wichita <laughs> then like you might find somebody you know. <laughs> if after they took the course they moved to wichita <laughs> 
Um, Where did they retire? <laughs> Where did they set up their practice? Okay. There's another kind of training out there uh, from a, a tr- from a group of folks who I really respect. It's called Somatic Sex Education. Um, so they also kind of ha- offer a training. Uh, but that's less, it's not like a state mandated program. Generally speaking, sex work is an unregulated field. And, you know, of course, like you have really no idea what you're getting into when mm-hmm. you like, you know, hire, like hire somebody or find somebody. So, you know, I would say like, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody without training is not, wor- is not worth your time. Like I don't have any formal training. I've, li- I've learned from my partner, Sequoia, mostly um, just based on, uh, you know, the style of massage that we offer. He sort of mentored you? Yeah, he definitely has mentored me for several years. I mean, we're partners, so we continue to be in relationship together. Um, so, you know, that can, that can be a, a profound way to connect. I mean, generally speaking, with any kind of... I consider this kind of part of like a... Like part of a larger class of shamanic kind of traditions, like mm. tantric traditions, which is you know, about entering into high energy states, whether that's through meditation and and breath work or yoga, or whether that's through sexual energy or whether that's with plant medicines. But these are all kind of similar in that when we enter into these high energy states, we can have profound insights, transformations, healings, release. So, and those traditions going back to like the dawn of humanity have always been mostly apprenticeship traditions, right. whether it was with, from a guru to their disciple or whether it was like a, you know, like a shamanic tradition where the medicine person is working with their, you know, community or whatever it is. So personally, I've always found mentorship to be the most beneficial, the most important. I mean, yeah. it's like, of course, doing the courses can't hurt. Um, but you know, again, I've definitely met people who have done the courses and I would, I, I wouldn't want to be with them <laughs> you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, when you create a course, what are you going to do? Right. It's primarily intellectual. It's primarily based mm-hmm. on reading or discussion or whatever. It's right. hard to curate experiences when you're in a program. I would say if somebody's looking for a sacred intimate or, you know, one of these workers is like, always like look at their website and you can get a lot from the website how much care and attention have they put into their website read the language does it does it accord with what your vision is read their bio you know their degree of experience right um how many years have they been doing this are they doing this full-time or part-time our conversation continued and eventually got around to pornography and cg had an interesting issue with it Sitting in with really poor posture, <laughs> not breathing, in a totally in a state of complete bodily stagnation. Like, we cut off that sexual experience from the rest of our body because we're just you know like basically the in the screen. screen. He also had a unique solution. Just stand up when you watch porn. That in <laughs> itself Interesting. will change the energy completely because when you stand up, it's you can't stand up for hours. There's actually a good book written by Don Shuey, which is called The Porn Paradox. He eventually wanted to talk about consent in a rather fascinating way. Consent is actually a conversation around how, and it goes back to kind of like you're your curating, like, what do I actually want? Right. You know, it's, it's kind of easier, I think, to locate boundaries mm-hmm. to say this is what I don't want or this is what I don't like or whatever. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, there's this... M- even perhaps more profound conversation of like 
what do I want? How do I communicate what I want? Mm -hmm. And how do I, do I have a language around that? So one of the really beautiful resources that I recommend is uh, Betty Martin. She's a a sex educator in the Seattle area. And she has this model called the Wheel of Consent. And it's a beautiful... Uh, Sounds like a game show. The wheel of consent. (laughs) Totally. Just take a spin. (laughs) Okay, you got the whammy. (laughs) But it does actually have that quality because there are, she distinguishes four different roles that we can take within really any situation that involves touch. Um, Of course, sex included. And it's basically, she asks two main questions. She says, who's giving and who's receiving, like who's Mm -hmm. giving the touch and who's receiving the touch Mm -hmm. or who's being touched. And um, so just clarifying that between you and your partner. And then the second question is, who is the touch for? Mm. So normally we, in our minds, uh, we tend to, so there's four different, possibilities here and we tend to narrow it down to two possibilities one is like i'm giving you touch david and you're right now (laughs) not right now (laughs) but and and you're and you're the one who's receiving the touch and it's also the touch is for you right you know it's like oh david would like a massage or david would like a a hand job okay we can think of it Someone listening goes, go into more detail. (laughs) What are the other options? (laughs) But but then there's also this element of sometimes we want to give touch for our own pleasure. Right. And so it's like, like, okay, yes, I'm going to touch you, David, but like, I'm going to touch you the way I want to touch you. Right. And that's a really interesting area because that is most often that zone of non-consensual it's 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 sticking into it's slipping closer to a power play exactly because it's like because you know maybe you would like a really light massage or whatever but i'm wanting to to whip you with with my flogger right and so you don't necessarily want that experience right but it's 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 kind of this interesting juicy conversation of like well Am I open to that? Of course, in this in this model, you are totally welcome to say no. I do not want that. Right. But it's also like this interesting um, um, conversation to have. Like, what do I want to give? It's so this model of consent is all about really like really working on the edges of our experience. And of right. course, there's this you know normally when we talk about consent, we kind of imagine ourselves as having these hard edges like i would never do that or you know this is that's like i don't deal with pain or you know i don't like whatever and it's like edges are malleable right and part of the juice of life is constantly playing with those edges not necessarily all the time sometimes we just want experiences that are in our comfort zone and that's Mm -hmm. fine but if we're always in our comfort zone then we're not really playing with the possibilities. So it's like, if I have this negative reaction to my partner's desire for kink, that's fine. Um, so, But how could you meet them somewhere in the middle right. that, that is palatable for you? Or how do you, you know, like, how do you play in that zone of like, wow, this is edgy for me? Right. One of the things that you, you uh, I really get the impression or, or that I know about you is that you're a very caring loving person and what you do is 
profound uh, for people. It's a profound experience. Uh, and uh, I can't imagine the amount of emotional energy that you receive. Um, now, if someone wants to explore this or they want to explore this with you, how do they get a hold of you? How do they get in touch with you? Sure, yeah. My my personal practice is at gaymassagevancouver.com. And like I said, I work with all genders and orientations. Um, and then we also have group workshops, uh, me and my partner Sequoia, through meninTouch.org. And then also we have a once-a-year festival called the Ignite Festival, mm-hmm. which is at ignite-fest.com. Right, and so that and that's for men and male identified. That's right. Yeah. Right. All of those events are for the Men in Touch and Ignite Festival are all for male identified folks. Nice. Okay. Uh, so again, you you are you've done so many things. You've been doing it uh, for a while now. What are you most proud of? What are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of of having done the work this long and not having burnt out so, yet. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe it'll never happen, but. But yeah, just because this line Maybe of work, <laughs> this line of work is uh, is kind of notorious for for burnout. Just because it's you know you're giving a lot of energy out to folks and really holding space for a lot of folks, and so you know then the question just becomes how am I taking care of myself? How do I receive uh, sexual energy, sexual pleasure? How do I let go of being right. in control? Right. All those kinds of questions. So. Well, yeah, and you're dealing with so many different psychic energies. And I don't mean like psychic, like in terms of like, I can read your mind, or telepathic, <laughs> I'm moving that chair. Um, but you're dealing with so many, like it's like teachers or healthcare workers, you're dealing with so many uh, profound emotions and mm. feelings and, and creating a container for that, that I can yep. see that become very taxing after a while. Yep. Um, uh, so uh, thank you so much for talking about this. This is not something that is talked about that often, and I really appreciate uh, you you uh, helping illuminate this. Mm. If people want to get more uh, help in this area, there are many resources. They'll be posted on the podcast. and. Um, I also want to thank you, you the listeners, for listening to this. If you have any feedback uh, on uh, the show or the guests that I have, uh, please write a review, give us a rating, let us know what you think. Uh, if any of the episodes so far, if you found something helpful, please feel free to share them with other people. But I, I want to hear from you. What are you, what are you liking about the show? What are you not liking about the show? Um, uh, what, but don't be mean. And. Uh, uh, what else do you think would make the show a better show? I am going to do this new segment now where I give the last word to my guests. So what do you want to say to the listeners? Yeah, my final message is just uh, sexual energy is is part of the delight of life. Really dive into it without uh, reservation. Uh, sexual energy is it has this ability to heal, transform, allow us to grow, and keeps us connected to that basic delight in life to really enjoy life so keep diving in this is the live and engage with david c jones thank you so much for listening and thank you ct thank you david